Hey guys, welcome to Listen Now, Meaning What's Sister Podcast about music. I'm your host, Sean A. This month we'll be talking about love songs and all the varieties they come in, how you can still make it work no matter what you're talking about. There's probably way too many love songs out there for me to like make a BuzzFeed top 10 list of the 10 best love songs of all time. And plus, who can actually say what the best love song is ever? But today I wanted to talk about various ways that love songs can be successful and just a topic that has so much variety and so many different approaches that can work. One of the first songs that come to my mind immediately when I think of the word love song is I Say a Little Prayer by Aretha Franklin, but originally for Dionne Warwick, written by the classic songwriting duo Burke Bacharach and Hal David. On a very surface level, when you look at it, it's obviously about devotion. You know, you're just going through your everyday tasks, thinking about hypothetically a man. Um, In context, it's apparently about a wife waiting for her husband to come home from the Vietnam War. Woof. Not a fun context, but it is just a fantastic piece of songwriting that has so much more bubbling under its surface than when you're just kind of listening to it. And I think the success of a song can be easily determined by the fact if you hear a couple different versions of it that are distinctly different, but also still excellent. And this song most definitely works in that context. Take note, especially of time signatures, especially in the chorus when you have a measure of four, then a measure of three, and a measure of four, and the drummer likes to really outline that measure of three. And what that does is, when you're not thinking about it too hard, it kind of snaps you out of a rhythm and a feeling, and it kind of makes it, it gives can give it a dizzying quality because it kind of keeps trudging on. So it always feels a little bit off kilter and a little bit just not what you expect it to be. And then in the verses as well, there's a small measure of two that catches you a little bit by surprise. So when you want to kind of just take a look at the two versions that I mentioned, if you took take a look at Dionne Warwick's, it is really almost polite in its approach. She's really kind of gentle in the way she sings it. She doesn't do very much with the melody outside of what feels like what was written for her. And in a way, it almost becomes genreless in the way she sings it. She doesn't really pull a lot from pop or blues or soul, even in the 50s and 60s, when that all kind of glued together. The best part, for sure, I think, is in the bridge, when she's scatting in harmony with the trumpet. Really cool. Um, And if you take a listen to the harmonies, it's kind of funky, it's kind of discordant, it's referencing a lot of jazz. And to me, it's almost that moment of a twinge of like, oh shit, he might not come home, but you know what? I'm going to keep thinking about him. So, first up, I Say a Little Prayer by Dionne Warwick. And you can kind of hear in the way she approaches that. It doesn't take up too much space. It's very clean. It's really precise. And I think that's one way to kind of approach the concept of thinking about someone you love that you're worried about. But then when Aretha sings it, I think it's just just by her indomitable force of skill and personality, it takes on a whole new context. She's just so much looser with it. She's having so much fun riffing all over it. And you'll find that her backing group, which is called The Sweet Inspirations, do 
actually most of the singing. Aretha doesn't have time to really be worrying about actually singing all the words. She's just kind of floating on top of it. And it is just a masterclass in singing in the soul and R&B genre. Just effortlessness, especially when you just take the time to hear Dion's version, which I think is as close as you can get to like what was written on the page on the book, and hear kind of the really natural feeling inflections Aretha puts into it. It is just fantastic to listen to. And even in this clip that we're going to listen to right now, just with the verse, it is just effortless in its delivery and its sense of fun. Next, I say a little prayer, but Aretha Franklin. So, right, you can see just two very different approaches vocally and meaning-wise. In Aretha's version, it doesn't really feel like she's worried about anything. She's just so swept up in the concept of joy and love and, and this concept of waiting for some man that she's just hooping and hollering and declaring her joy. The the strength to the song lies in that you can pull subtext out of it, you don't have to pull subtext out of it, and it presents a concept of simplicity, but there's so much more complexity and thought underneath, which is, I think, always the beauty of popular music. Somet- well, caveat, sometimes pop music is thuddingly simple, and you can tell, but there is a beauty to pop music that feels easily digestible for everyone. But if you're a musician or someone who just wants to learn more about it, there's so much more to pull out of music. So now, moving from the idea of deep, deep sincerity and in what feels like being really faithful to someone, let's move on to the idea of maybe a sarcastic love song. My example is Video Games by Lana Del Rey, someone who I do not... (laughs) advocate for as a person or necessarily always a terribly good artist but as the first song that she released as a single it is just fantastic and it kind of captures especially what happened early on in her career which is this kind of really droll and dry delivery and you're not even sure if she's trying or ever serious And then in context with the song, that is just like a Princess Disney movie. The whole orchestra is playing, the harp is fluttering, and everything is just so saccharine and sweet and sweeping. You manage to still feel the sense of sarcasm in the way she's singing it. Is she being really overly serious? Or is everything that she's saying kind of with an eye roll? Next up is Video Games by Lana Del Rey. Right, so in that clip, the first thing she does is chide someone. Chide this, like, alleged boyfriend. Play your video games. I don't know, whatever. And then she goes on to say, it's you, it's you, it's all for you. Which, you know... You could interpret very literally as, I don't care what you do, I am wholly devoted to you. But just in the drawlness and the dryness of how she sings, it feels like she's just saying, yeah, 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 I'm being a facsimile of a housewife for you, here you go. And especially when you take in context kind of her early persona in her career, it feels like that all kind of ties together. And I think kind of the magic of the song is you can take it either way, and it still succeeds in both ways. When it first came out, when I was, what, 
let's see, like 14 years old, I was like, this is such a good love song. Um, <laughs> also, what does that say about my idea of gender politics? You know, you can just play your video games and I'll just sit here and be your sexy little girl. <laughs> but as you grow up and get more jaded and cynical, I think you either read into it or you come to realize that, well, yeah, I'm just being a bitch. But at least it's a, a really like fun, beautiful bitch. Now let's move on to just another example of something that's maybe a little more serious, or perhaps on the other end, veering into vastly serious, vastly devoted, and vastly yearning and intense. And that's going to be uh, Geyser by Mitski. Full stop, one of my favorite artists of all time. I will find a way to bring her up probably every single time. And this song that's the opening track to her most recent album, Be the Cowboy, is just a two-minute crescendo. Starts out so sparsely with just a couple organ drones and builds and builds and builds, and then kind of just abruptly ends. On, on the surface, the lyrics are very just kind of your standard love song lyrics about you being the one that's everything, and a metaphor about my love pouring forth like a geyser. But it it's an important context to remember that Mitski has said in several interviews, whenever she's talking about, as the opening line says, you're the one I want, she's talking about music and her general devotion and love for her craft. And I think that it works both in that, you know, in that kind of death of the author way, it works both in that context of this is my self-expression about my art, but it also works as an incredibly kind of morose and serious love song. And one of the great ways the song kind of builds and releases is the verse and you know there's not even a real verse chorus structure in the song but the lines leading up to before the kind of crescendo and high point of the music are very static simple lines and then as the music kind of swirls around her the kind of high point or what you could call the chorus is a really beautifully meandering vocal line um so let's take a listen to it next is Geyser by Mitski. So as you can hear, it's kind, it's kind of interesting because it is the high point of the song, but it's not a terribly showy or belty kind of melody. It's rather lilting but it is allowed a kind of freedom melodically and sonically from all the material that has come before it uh, to kind of indicate the freedom that you can take now that you have allowed the outpouring of your love and devotion to come forth. With love songs and in life, everyone isn't able to have, kind of have that Disney moment and be really forthcoming about their love necessarily. And I think one of my favorite examples of quote-unquote playing coy but not really playing all that coy is Thinking About You by Frank Ocean. It is kind of your classic emphasis of verse-chorus-verse-chorus chorus, where the verses are downplayed and the choruses are much bigger, but this song kind of is, to me, a almost perfect distillation of how to really play up that expectation and structure. You know, in the choruses, you just have a really honestly squealing falsetto. It is in just in a ridiculous range, and it's just talking about yada yada, never think so far ahead, because I've been thinking about you forever, but you know, no one actually ever thinks about anyone forever, but that kind of taken over, over the top moment when you just think about someone in totality, 
Next is Frank Ocean's Thinking About You. I don't like you, I just thought you were cool enough to kick it. Got a beach house I could sell you in Idaho. Since you think I don't love you, I just thought you were cute. That's why I kiss you. Got a fighter jet, I don't get to fly. So, like we just heard, he's just talking total shit. Like, he bought a beach house, but it's in Idaho. You know, it's just that it kind of typifies that when you're just so nervous, you just talk talk shit because you have nothing else to say. But what is so great about it, it's sonically, it's so cool. It's so laid back. It's not trying too hard. And in that, like putting all of those pieces together, it just makes it feel so much more real and so much more like an accurate feeling of just trying so hard to impress someone by kind of shutting yourself off. And in some cases, I guess, shutting off your common sense. <laughs> And also just important to note about the song, especially in context with Frank, especially on that album, Channel Orange, um, it's much more simplistic in its structure and in its musical ideas, which is kind of great. Everyone needs that like standard love song in their, in their songbook that will follow them for the rest of their lives. And I think it, it's just a great example of Frank being able to do some, something as close as he gets to a quote-unquote simple love song, just done with his depth in understanding of humanity and pathos and kind of being a trailblazer for um, the kinds of sounds that you hear now. So much of what you hear in Channel Orange gets played out in R&B and pop and every genre that kind of borrows from it in the years since it has come out. And the last song I want to talk about comes from, I think, one of my favorite quote-unquote quarantine albums that has come out. Even though the quarantine's still not over, we're still all suffering through it. If you have been kind of following dance music and pop music since last March, you've noticed a lot of big releases have come out in kind of playing homage to the disco genre. And I think that it's so fascinating when you think about, because all of these albums take months and years, if not years, to plan. But somehow everyone was planning for 2020 to be a summer where we were all disco dancing. I mean, unfortunately for most of us, definitely not. But one of my favorites came from Jessie Ware, and specifically the song Save a Kiss by her. And if you're unfamiliar with Jessie Ware, I would say she's what a lot of people called adult contemporary music, which feels like a kind of dirty term for, like, boring old white people music. But what it does is she usually references modern pop songwriting with the idea of Quiet Storm when you think of Sade in the 90s. But this album was a great fun pivot towards dance genres and kind of an homage to what she did earlier in like the early 2010s with the British grime kind of electronic music scene. So Save a Kiss is kind of the epitome of a disco song where the instrumentals kind of just take you away and transport you to, you know, being on the dance floor. It's not terribly specific, and it's not a terribly dense texture. Um, when I was reading interviews that she did about it, one of the biggest things they wanted to kind of focus on was the emotional impact of the song. And so what they kept doing was stripping more and more away from the production. So you're kind of left with just the skeleton of what you expect of a disco beat and a disco song in 2021. So it just kind of suggests the mood for you. You don't have to, you know, you're not listening for too many melodies. You're not listening for too much. And the lyrics themselves, too, are also pretty general. Save a kiss for me tonight. And just more general platitudes about, you know, a kiss being love. 
but not terribly specific on the story either. But what is really great when you listen to it is the subtlety of the delivery and just the way she enunciates words and it kind of lets you linger on them. In our last clip, Jesse wears Save a Kiss. Save a kiss for me tonight. So it's just the epitome of simple and sultry. And again, it's a song that I think works in so many contexts. She says in kind of like an, a delightfully regular person feeling way, she wrote the song as kind of an apology to her husband. Like, sorry that I take so long to be at work. When I come back home, make sure you kiss me and you still love me, even though I... I'm working late as a traveling musician, but when I listen to the song, when I feel the song, it's pretty vague about who, what, when, why, where. You're just asking this one person to save a kiss for you. So in my head, it's just some hottie you met on the dance floor that you just want to make sure that you continue flirting with later tonight. I think it's kind of, it's magic in its lack of specificity, but it kind of lets you fill in all the Fill in all the information yourself. I think pop music at its very best is both intensely personal because of what it's written, but it's also written in a way that's so broad that anyone can relate to it. Or the goal is that anyone can relate to it. So don't hate on pop music so much, everyone. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for listening to the first episode of Listen Now. Love songs come in all shapes, sizes, and flavors. So tell me what your favorite love song is. You can follow us and complain to me in the DMs on Instagram at meaningwhatpod, on Twitter, and or at our email, meaningwhatpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a lovely day. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually... Did I stutter?